My name is Richard Löwenstein and you are listening to the SeamWorld podcast. Have fun. Hey everybody, I'm AJ. That's your over there. This is Hi. the Scene World Podcast. Yes. So, in a minute, Andrew Fisher, Professor Andrew, the gaming yeah. expert, and I are talking to Stefan Arnold, that's the chairman of TechToy, and we talk about the um, limited edition Mega Drive 2017 that was released last year. And while they do that, I'm about... going to get dinner. <laughs> okay. Well, enjoy. <laughs> yeah, I'm good. I'll be somewhere else while they do that. Okay. Well, um, anyway, you will see this podcast is a lot longer than the first part because the first part we only had like 40 minutes and it's kind of rushed. And this time we got plenty of um, questions to ask him and he answered them very detailed so before we go to that let's jump into our new section regarding gamescom because that's happening soon yeah we're not doing a real a real normal news section here we just this is coming out a little early after our last podcast we did news there uh if you want to see some news go check out number 50 with lars sabirai Nice. This is number fifty-one. That was my uh, that was my sports number in school. Was fifty-one. Okay. It's also that the number... positive or negative. Oh, I I I like fifty-one. Fifty-one's always been okay. kind of like my uh, my lucky number. So my lucky number is thirty-three. Mm. It's it's ironic then that I wouldn't actually be on the fifty-first podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, I'm sorry for that. <laughs> yeah, but you I know, was... some people are pretty busy and only have a certain variable time frame. Yeah, I was on vacation. I took I took a holiday, so I was not there. And and whilst I was, I, I thought in the beginning maybe I'd be able to take part over the phone or something from the middle of the woods. That's not exactly how that occurred. I had no service. I couldn't have gone. I couldn't have taken part if I tried. Wow. So, but it was Ooh. nice to get away from everything for a bit. So I, I, that was. He, yeah. <laughs> no scene worked for a week. Ooh. Yeah. Oh, it was so yeah. lovely. So nice. Uh, <laughs> nobody asking you. So when is that video coming out? Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> um, okay. So we talk about well, Gamescom. So yeah. What's so this is being here? released. This will be released. On around the 18th ish or so, um, yep. Gamescom is occurring the week after that. So from the 20th to the 20th. Yeah, well, actually, it's happening from the 21st to the 25th. Mm-hmm. But as 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 we are an exhibitor, we have to get there one day early, and um, as we have to, well build down and remove the stuff again on the 25th in the evening i would rather go and travel back to to my place on the 26th in the morning rather than middle of the night right so um, so that's the plan so if you're listening to this around the time of release um gamescom is about to happen 
if you're within a week of release of this, then Gamescom yep. is happening. And if you happen to be in Germany, if you happen to be in the general area of Cologne, Cologne. then yep. you should swing by and say hello at the Scene World booth. Yeah, it's the uh, largest video game fair in Europe and mm -hmm. the third largest worldwide. So you are probably going to miss a lot. And also, a lot of publishers actually announced that they wouldn't show their new titles um, like THQ Nordic at E3 mm -hmm. and skip for that for Gamescom. And that's actually something that's um, pretty surprising because in the past it was like it was shown as at a3 in usa first and then it was you know um, reused for gamescom right and this year it's a bit different anyway so um there are a few appointments we are looking forward to and of course among many that would be pro evolution soccer for konami hmm. um and of course, we should also, get. We should see if we can get ourselves another review copy because we had, what was it, 2016? Yeah, sure. I, know, that, I, will, I, will, it, I will ask them. Was it was it Pro Evolution Soccer 2016 that we had, that we got to yeah. review? Yeah. And and yeah. that was you know back in 2016. It would be cool to be able to check out their new, see where it's going because you know it was it was, it was really cool. But there were some. You know, dead, lifeless eyes. But the for this, you need your gaming PC. Yeah, well, I'll look at get one. Well, then get one. Otherwise, yeah. it'll be impossible. Um, other things is and the new Larry Lachute, um adventure is getting a new part. The new what? Um, Larry Leisure? Leisure Suit Larry. Ah. Okay, so uh, let me redo that. So the new Leisure Suit Larry <laughs> is coming out. Wet yeah. streams don't try. Okay. And it's actually coming out um, by Assemble Software. That's a German company. And um, um, former workers from Calypso actually... Um, formed this company so calypso probably rings a bell that were the publishing company also re-releasing the rings remastered for the pc um from cinemaware when um, when lars furken partista was still the ceo of the company mm -hmm. so they published that um i actually got a version myself from Amazon, from Calypso, and also they concentrate on re-releasing PC games back in the days and other games, you know. Um, if I'm not mistaken, Hanse, the old strategic game, got a re-release after over 30 years under their name, and they also did Pizza Connection 3. So okay, well, so they are concentrating on continuing old IPs and old old games that we we knew and love. So right, and so we will talk to them 
the other thing is, of course, um, we will also talk to EA. That's at least on the list. And um, we, we try to talk to them about um, Battlefield 5, if I'm not uh, mistaken. Okay. So, yep. And, of course, we will also talk to the CEO of Compotech Publishing, um, Hans Ippisch. Mm-hmm. And Hans, we interviewed him um, for the YouTube channel about his history for Rainbow Arts and um, making soldiers the first, the first um, forbidden game to protect the youth. and so he made quite a name so he so we talked last year to him about well the news in the business and so this year we will talk about this again so we always meet with him and talk about the change of the music industry from the perspective of of a retro gamer Mm -hmm. you know right so that's our plan here it's actually funny because this year um, a lot of publishers are actually, you know, continuing to concentrate on the retro gamers. And that is something that was totally out of the picture in the past, where they actually mainly concentrated on getting new gamers, you know, the youngsters, and not the the average gamer, which is between 35 and 45. I feel you like know? a lot of young people are also discovering these the older games now retro gaming is kind of a you can go into into any target or walmart or any store like that and in in the computer area in the technology area there are you know nes well not nes but you know atari rewinds and and sega and all that stuff genesis yeah exactly and we we talked to sega about um re-releasing sonic sonic mania mm-hmm. with uh, mr sonic <laughs> yeah. um sorry with mr sega i would say um mario dola so that was one of those podcasts where aj was out of order unfortunately but you can I was, actually I was listen here. to it regardless i was here for mario dola no yeah burned yes i was no yes i was no no, no, because he confused the day, and then he um, was there one day too late where you couldn't do it. Was I not there? Wednesday. No, but you wrote the entry in the podcast like you were, but you weren't. Listen I to could, it. I could have sworn. Oh, was that one of those weird ones where, like, where like I I I was all, was was there briefly and then like disappeared or something? No, that was David Fox. I, I know it was David Fox, but we did another one too, which was the same. Well, not, yeah, not the same was, as that, but yeah, which was with um, with Ron Gilbert. Was but I no, was I not there one. with Fabian Dalla? No, you weren't. Not for a second. Oh my god, my memory is shot because I totally yeah, thought I was and there. Yeah, it's, it's written wrong on the homepage. So. <laughs> But I never went to correct it, so people think you are part of it, I just, but you are I was just real quiet. I didn't say anything. <laughs> yes, so anyway, my point was that even Konami is um, 
going to 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 that target of older gamers and now even 2003 is considered retro so they are working on a new version of someone of the enders which is an old title from 2003 from konami and it's a um it's an action game it's a first person shooter mm-hmm. and they are re-releasing it for um I think for virtual reality. So that will be kind of interesting. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, of course, I also hope we hear from Star Citizen. If you remember um, when we did the um, Extra Life thing uh-huh. in 2015, I also presented to you, AJ, this... Um, well, uh, how do you say space simulation thing? Oh, did you did you play that? Oh my god, yeah. I can't remember that either. Oh Jesus yeah, Lord! Yeah, yeah, I did. And uh, it was it's a really cool looking game because it's basically it's it's elite, right? It's like an it's a is is that what I'm thinking of? Yeah, kind of, but it's not stopping there. You can also go on a planet and right go there with a moon vehicle. Uh-huh. You know, um, a Luna, I don't know, Luna robot? Yeah, right, Luna, um, Luna rover, yeah. Right. So, I hope, I hope um, we can actually talk to um, to them. Or am I thinking of Elite up? Dangerous? Because Elite Dangerous came out. Or, or it, I don't know if it's actually out yet, but it was being worked on and it was huge looking. And Star Citizen was... Was that did that have anything to do with Elite, or was that just similar? Not in, really, right? Not really. It was just similar in in functionality or or in background or so to it. Well, um, well, it's a Chris Roberts game, right? It's uh, probably originating in Wing Commander and stuff. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Wing Commander, yes, that's the other. That's that's a good one. That was the the video game series with the awful movie. Yes. That was totally boring. That that had, that was the video game series in which in which the video game series the the cuz cuz I think it was Wing Commander 3 was like almost all full motion video. Yeah. And yeah, in which yeah. in which the full motion video of Wing Commander 3 is a better movie than the actual Wing Commander movie. Exactly. And it was funny because it was the game series that combined that combined the characters from Star Wars and Star Trek. So Mark Hamill, Han Solo, <laughs> was the good guy. From no, Star- Mark Hamill was, from was, Star Wars. was Luke Skywalker. Uh, sorry. Han Solo yeah. was Harrison sorry. Ford. Okay. Uh, you, just, this- you just lost all your geek cred with the Star Wars crowd right there. Okay. So, for example, Mark Hamill who was Luke Skywalker, and Malcolm McDowell, who was always a bad guy at Star Trek. You well, know, was Mal- for example. Malcolm McDowell was in the movie, was in Generations, but when did... Exactly. When did that come out? When did Generations come out? Because when did Wing Commander uh, 96, come out? 96. When did Wing Commander 3 come out? 95. Okay, so but he wasn't uh, Star sorry, Trek sorry. yet. No, uh, 95 was Wing Commander 4. So Wing Commander 3 was 93. Hmm. Okay, so no, Wing Commander three was ninety four. Ninety four. Okay, so yeah, so he 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 wasn't yet a Star Trek villain, but he would go on to be a Star Trek villain. 
He was subject Berlin because he was also in the series. He, well, no, he wasn't. Oh, he was. Oh, he was. Sure about that. No, uh-uh. no? Malcolm, Malcolm McDowell. No. Okay. No, he was he was he was Soren in Generations, but he was never actually in the series before that. But he was after, I guess. No, he was just in that one movie. Are you sure? Yeah. Not so sure about that. I will look it up right now. That's the first time AJ and York are disagreeing on facts. Oh my god. He was he was in Planet of the Apes. He's been he's been in a ton of things, but um uh in Generations he played Doctor Tolly and Soren. Um and then in Wing Commander. Yeah. So, so it was before Wing Commander four. Because Wing Commander four was in ninety five and Generations was in ninety four. Well, no, no, Wing Commander 3 and 4 he was in, and Star Trek Generations was 1994 it was released. Yeah, so, so same Commander's, year. Yeah. So my point is correct. But that was the only Star Trek that he was in. No, he was also in Generations. Well, no, that's what I'm saying, in Generations, which was Ah, so I got this, I, okay, in my memory it was 1996. Oh, Okay, 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 okay. So my point was correct. Okay, so he we killed, do his... He killed Captain Kirk. He was the dude that killed Captain Kirk. Which... Okay, uh, anyway, uh, okay, that's that count pretty much as a villain. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> okay, so Wing Commander. Was Although the first he was also, Wing... in 1997, he was also in the Star Trek Generations video game. So that brings it full circle right there. Okay, that I didn't know. Okay, so redo it. <laughs> let's let's talk about that. For example, um, Mark Hamill, who is Luke Skywalker from Star Wars, was the good guy, the um, the hero, oh. and there was Mark McDowell, who was the bad guy in Wing Commander, and what? he was a bad guy in Wing Commander um, three and four, and also in Stark Trek Generations in 94. So, Wait, he was a bad and, guy in Wing Commander? Yes. Yes, he was the bad guy in Wing Commander. Really? Yes, he was. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I played the game, of course he so, was. So have I, though. <sighs> yeah, I, I, I played this game, too, and I don't recall him being a bad... Maybe in the fourth one he was a bad guy but in the third i yep. think he was just he was just like your commanding officer he was just the admiral you can see it even on the packaging of wing commander 4 if you look at wikipedia that there are two sides evil which is him and mark hamill as good guy right so we have to record this a fourth time. We're, we're, no, I, I just, I'm, I'm saying, just leave this all in because this is, fast. oh come on, this is a no. fascinating this is, exploration and and this just falling hilarious. down the rabbit hole of this. I, uh, I played three. Uh, I played three. I do not remember him being a bad guy, and I remember him being like the 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 archetypical military commander that maybe you have to kind of go against in order to complete the mission. But he's fundamentally a good guy. You know, he's he's Not just sort of, court. yeah, he's just kind of, you know, he, he, he wants to pretty much wipe out the Kilrathi and, which are like, you know, the cat bad guys. And you have the option to disobey his orders or the option to obey them. And the game, you know, you kind of win either way. It's just a different a different way to win the game. 
Uh, I did not play Wing Commander 4, so it's entirely possible. I didn't possible. play Wing Commander 3, I played Wing Commander 4. Okay, so he's it, maybe he turns heel in the fourth. And, yeah, he does. Yeah, okay, so that's that would explain why we have different recollections of him. <laughs> anyway, so, yeah, so, Wing Commander brought together the actors <laughs> of Star Trek and the actors, actors of Star Wars. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, uh, considering that there are two groups of people, the Star Trek and the Star Wars lovers or haters, and they are not really fond of each other, I don't know of any other video games combining two universes. Not, not that I can think of. In the Star Trek movie, in the in the reboot with with the J.J. Abrams reboot, um, there is a scene in which R two D two flies past the view screen of the Enterprise. Really quick, you got to go like frame by frame, but there he is. Never spotted it. And 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 Simon Pegg, who plays Scotty in the new Star Trek reboots, is also in the new Star Wars movies. I see. So, but that's not still not a video game. No, it has nothing to do with what we're talking about. But. Anyway, so yes, yeah. What are so, we talking about? We'll be, Where are we? Will be will be interesting interviews. Yeah. You know what is another good game along those same lines? A lot of people say Wing Commander is kind of like this, um, this this genre starter. But I feel like there was a game before, and I've talked about the game before, and I even played it for a short time when we did Extra Life, which is this game Space Road, which was also by Origin Systems. Came out before, it was 1991, I think, that it came out. Uh, or maybe 89, somewhere. It came out in some year. Um, by Paul Nurath. It didn't have anything to do with the people that did um, Wing Commander, but a lot of the same stuff, the space flight physics and the way that it was laid out and when going on into the stations and stuff, felt like a Wing Commander, like uh, like they took all the stuff that they learned in Space Rogue and, and shunted that into Wing Commander. That sounds a bit like Dune and uh, Co- Commander Conger. Hmm. And I'm talking about the original Wing Commander, you know, not the... We're talking Wing Commander 3 and 4, which was on the PlayStation, which were basically full-motion video thing. The original Wing Commander uh, was for the PC and Amiga and stuff, and it was more... um, Super Nintendo. Yeah, right. It was more, you know, ad-lib, sound card, you know, pixely graphic stuff. Not Mark Hamill acting. Right. Anyway, so let's what hop are, to what are we talking Priscilla? about? How did we get here? I don't know. We <laughs> were talking about um, Star Citizen. Oh yeah, that's right, Star Citizen. Yeah. Yeah, I forgot. Okay. Anyway, Gamescom. It also will be meeting. Well, I'm not. I won't be there, but. Jörg and the other members of Scene World that will be there will be meeting you. Me. No, yes. no, not you. You, <laughs> the public, the, the listeners and, and, and the readers. <laughs> so stop by. He'll be in the retro area. Family and friends. Yes. 10.2, like, like every year. Mm-hmm. And who's going this year? Well, Martin, I, the other Martin, Arthur. So same guys. Cool. Basically. So come on, join us uh, between the uh, 21st, 21st, yeah, and 25th. Come on out to Gamescom in Cologne, 
and visit at the family and friends section. Retro gaming area. Do it. And give Senad a big kiss on his mouth when you see him for me. Ah, uh, certainly. <laughs> Do we have anything else to cover? Or is that about... I guess. Oh. Okay. <laughs> okay, well, we've got... Oh, over there, in another spot where I'm not, is, is Stefano Arnold. And I'm going to take a step out. And Andrew Fisher, our illustrious... English editor with a much better radio voice than me is going to step uh, in. Gosh. He's so he's so soothing to listen to. I I enjoy listening to you. I always crack up when I listen back to our podcast. So he'll be te- he'll be stepping in and taking my place on this, and uh, yeah. So, welcome to the show again, Stefano. Um, why don't we start a bit that you tell us a bit, how did you actually get involved into video games and tech toy? Because I know you are the same age as my father, for example, and for my father, video games is a waste of time and he doesn't consider a serious business or something to, to spend your free time with. And you are working for tech toy, so you are constantly involved in that topic. So how did that all start? Well, I, I started uh, getting involved in uh, video games. Um, my first attempt was with um, Game and Watch from Nintendo, with held-held games even before the video games. I visited them in uh, Kyoto. I think it was 1981 or 1982. I don't recall the, the year exactly. And I was working with my uncle in the photographic uh, field, right? And I thought this could be an interesting uh, new branch for us to diversify. And at that time, to import finished products to Brazil was really tough, nearly impossible. So uh, I approached Nintendo and explained them that I would need to assemble the components locally in the in the industrial area of the free zone of Manaus. And they were not very happy with this idea, right? Okay. But uh, we so harm overcame the problem when they said, okay, what we can do, we ship the finished product to a trading company. You can arrange with them to disassemble it in pieces and they can send it to you in pieces and you reassemble it and we are not involved uh, and so on okay so we the project was going fine uh, when i showed it to my uncle and they wanted the letter of credit right to guarantee the payment okay and my uncle got mad because he said look i am uh, quite listed in the miti miti is the ministry of trade and industry in japan Uh, class triple A plus whatever. Uh, at the same time, when he was not very happy to, let's say, open an exce- exception and open a letter of credit, uh, Sharp in Brazil invited me to join them. Uh, Sharp in Brazil was a joint venture of a huge Brazilian group with Sharp um, Electronics of Tokyo, of uh, Osaka, right? So as they knew that I was in contact with uh, Atari and especially with Mattel Electronics, uh, they hired me for their strategic planning area. And uh, we were then bidding with uh, 
for the Atari 2600 to introduce it in Brazil. Eventually, uh, we lost the battle to Polyvox. Polyvox was a subsidiary of Gradienti. Uh, and they, they, they won the bid and they took the, the license to manufacture and introduce the Atari 2600 in Brazil. And we at Sharp uh, made the deal with uh, Mattel Electronics and introduced uh, Intellivision in Brazil, right? And um, but the, Sharp was basically a TV company at that time, VCR, and uh, let's say the video game business was very small for them. So it, we had tough time inside the the group to develop the. Uh, let's say the sales area was not so kind, so fond of selling video games. Right? And then we introduced uh, MSX. We got the license from Microsoft. And uh, and then my how you say my boss at Sharp, which was Mr. Daniel Dascal, left Sharp and decided to open Tectoy. When he then invited me to join. Tech toy, and then of course uh, one of the first things we did were the the mini games, not with Nintendo, but we had our own line of uh, handheld games uh, that we licensed uh, games from uh, Tiger. We had their whole line, and we had the, our own line, and of course uh, the the video game was the top of our list, and that's when we approached uh, Sega and start to negotiate with them a toy. It was a laser gun, a laser tag. So our first product with Sega was not a video game, it was a toy, a toy division called Zillion. It was based on the anime. Uh, it was a famous Japanese anime, Zillion. And we aired it with, in Brazil, the, the, the cartoon too, the anime. And it was a huge success, so this helped us get uh, the license to manufacture and distribute uh, Master System Brazil. Yes, that was one of Tectoy's big products for many years. And by manufacturing in Manaus, that avoided the import taxes that cost made other consoles cost a lot of money. Yeah, that's correct. That's correct. Till today, we we still manufacture Master System <laughs> in Manaus and still collect the tax incentives to have a competitive price. So uh, there are many games in Tectoy's catalog that were translated into Portuguese and even rebranded for the for the Brazilian market. So I'm thinking particularly of Monica's Gang which was uh, rebranded Wonderboy titles. Was there a, a lot of work involved in the translation and, and rebranding? Yeah, it, it was. Um, uh, we did the localization of uh, Fantasy Star for Master System. That was a huge uh, project because it, 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 in English, the words are shorter, the sentences are shorter, and the, you know, the memory, you didn't have so much memory in those cartridges. They were quite tight, right? Yeah. So, but we got a lot of experience when we made the localization of Fantasy Star for Master System. And also, 
well, one, one of the advantages of uh, manufacturing the product that, that we knew what we were doing, right? We were not just uh, selling a product. We, kn we knew it uh, from inside. So then uh, we wanted to have, uh, let's say, lo local heroes uh, in, in, in our game. So we approached Mauricio de Souza, which is the creator of Monica, which is really huge in Brazil. And uh, we talked with Sega to get the license to be able to change Wonder Boy into Monica. And everything was working beautifully when Mauricio saw the, the sword. And then he said, no way, we have to stop this project because uh, Monica never carries a sword. This is against uh, the character. No way, forget. the." So we... We went back and said, oh, we, how do we save it? And then one guy from our marketing department said, well, why we don't substitute the sword by the little rabbit? It was a blue <laughs> rabbit called Sansão. Uh, that she, she was also, she till today, she kicks all the other guys from the gang with this uh, and hits them with the rabbit. So we came back <laughs> to Mauricio and he said, wow, that's an excellent idea. So everybody was happy except the development group because when we came back to them and said, look, you remember the sword, now you have to change it into a blue rabbit. And um, so it was not easy. They had to do technically, basically by hand, the the, the bits. It, it, it took them, I think, one or two months just to change the, the sword into the, how you say, the... The rabbit, uh, because of the challenges of the technology at the time. Today, you would do it in seconds, probably. Yeah. Uh, did Tectoy have official, official Sega development kit, kit, or did you create your own? No, we, we had everything you can imagine. We, we, we had their tools, of course, but along the time, we created uh, many, many tools uh, uh, at home. Even we... In the future, when we uh, took uh, Game Gear games and converted them to Master System game, uh, this was done, uh, let's say, by hand in the beginning. You had huge problems with the colors because the palette of the Game Gear, if I remember well, was 40,096 colors and the Master System palette, I think, was 64. So it was quite a challenge. But then, for instance, we were developing tools. And I think in 98 or something, when we converted what one of the last games was Baku Baku from Game Gear into uh, <clears throat> Master System, then probably our tools already were converting this on, on, an, on an high speed and not more taking months to do it. Which is Woody Woodpecker in Packer. English, actually. Yes. No, no. Woody Woodpecker is Pika Pau. Baku Baku. No, Baku Baku is 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 an original Sega title, right? Okay. And okay. Uh, it, it's a kind of uh, uh, columns game, like Tetris, something like like that, if I remember well. Yes. Oh, yes, that's right. I yes. confused it. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no, Pika Pau is Woody Woodpecker. This we licensed from Universal, and then we created an own game from scratch for. For Mega Drive first, and then for Master System and Game Gear. I, I wonder, by the way, 
because you also did Street Fighter on the Master System, which was quite an achievement for that time. What is your opinion about Capcom re-releasing Street Fighter and Mega Man for the NES and the Super Nintendo right now? Yeah, well, I think those are all great games and um, people today, I mean, they are in love with those retro uh, games. Uh, I think more than the games itself, it, it brings back uh, fantastic memories, it brings back uh, fantastic feelings and atmosphere and comradeships. When we, uh, last year when we introduced... Uh, the in our 30th anniversary when we introduced the Mega Drive, the original Mega Drive in Brazil, and everybody was so excited. I was invited to some meetings in in geek libraries and in in spaces like that, and those meetings were unbelievable. They, they never uh, after like two three hours, I I couldn't leave. You know, people wanted me <laughs> to stay. And uh, uh, and wanted invited me to, I don't know, to go all over the country. And what I found out is that when we were talking about those uh, days, right, people were really so enthusiastic and, and we were inviting the people to participate. And uh, people were, there was a couple on the first row that got married because they started to play Master System and they... Uh, and you know, and some, and, and so it's much more than a product. It's it's bringing back all those fantastic memories. So Capcom will be very successful, I believe. Are you a big fan of retro gaming yourself? Yes, I don't even call it retro gaming, right? Because for me, it's just is is gaming, right? <laughs> That's great. That's great. So one interesting thing about Brazil is that it has its own television standard. PAL M. Yes. Does this does this cause any hardware problems, or do you need special development for well, it? Well, not really, because uh, we we come from Sharp nearly uh, right. We were the leaders in the TV manufacturing in Brazil. So NTSC, um, well, PAL M is a son of NTSC. It's not related to PAL from uh, as like you have it in Europe, right? Yeah. 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 So for us, it was a piece of cake because uh, this was, I mean, that was our day by day for me. <laughs> uh, we even had in our group, um, IC Foundry and IC Manufacturing, we did IC to convert NSTSC or PAU to NSTNC and vice versa. So for us, I mean, the knowledge we had in microelectronics, uh, and other things, uh, one of our vice presidents is a genius. I was a genius. He passed away three years ago okay. in microelectronics. Uh, when I say it worldwide, not only in Brazil. So, for instance, Sega loved us because we had chats with them uh, in, in many different fields. So we approached them in order to make integrations of master system chips and, and, and Mega Drive chips in a single chip and those things. Uh, so Sato, I don't know if you remember him, he was an engineering boss at, at Sega for video games. Yes. yes. Uh, he loved, he hated us, but he loved us too. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
That's actually so, interesting because um, you mentioned Genius. And for the new Mega Drive, you said two years ago, the challenge will be to make the Yamaha sound chip sounding right in the new version of the Mega Drive that you are releasing, which is no longer, by the way, a limited edition. Yeah, yeah, we couldn't. The people were so angry when we said we would stop um, selling, right? And then we, it was during those meetings. Uh, I said, yeah, but we promised we would do a, a limited edition. Now you're going to be angry with us if we don't keep our pro promise. And <laughs> it's... I said, but we will be more angry with you if you keep your promise, right? Yeah, yeah it's so... a bit like Nintendo with the with the NES Mini and the SNES Mini. They uh, produced it in limited numbers to start with, but the demand was so high, they've had to make more. Yeah, yeah. So we, we couldn't keep... Uh, uh, our um, promise, and you're right. The Yamaha did a great job. Those those uh, sound processes were great. You know, there are two different sound processors, and they they really very very good dedicated pieces. And uh, the technology was always owned by Yamaha, so. Uh, uh, Sega knew little, very little about the the, the components themselves, right? Because okay. they did not okay. get information from Yamaha. Those were big secrets. And then when the patents had the 25 years and they fell, right? And uh, we were running out of stock because we bought every single chip that uh, Sega had in their in their inventory, right? Uh, uh, and then we were, of course, uh, worried about it, and um, it was very difficult to, how you say, to replace um, those two processors. And it took us here, I don't know how many months, playing with filters. And uh, we had people, uh, Eriberto here, our chief engineer. I mean, he, he's probably a direct descendant from Confucius from China because the patience he has is unbelievable. So he, they worked like months just to to get, let's say, minimal, minimal better uh, sound, a fraction better one day, a fraction better three weeks later. And, and the final outcome was, was okay. I I know on your YouTube channel you actually put on Mortal Kombat as a sound example, and you could hear how they say "finish him," you know, mm. and so you could hear it. Really sounds very true the original. Of course, if you are a nerd like me, liking the original, you can hear a difference, but it's not as bad as like what other companies have released that totally sound horrible. And not even close to the original. Yeah, well, thank you for the compliment. I think that's that's uh, uh, Eriberto and his group who deserve it because uh, the, their patience was uh, um, really great because they had to work outside the, how you see, the components, right? And when you work with peripheral and not inside the real, it's not easy. It's a challenge. But I admire the work they did. And I think what was very interesting was that we worked 
always together with the community. And we were warning them that we would have problems with sound, right? Uh, so for them not to take us to court if we could not really uh, get the perfect sound. So when I think the expectation was created, the expectation was lower. So when the product finally came out, it was not bad, bad, so people were happy. So I think we were smart in the way we did create some false expectations. So, so how long did development of the Mega Drive 2017 take? How long? When did you start work on it? I think we start like um, uh, difficult to say exactly how long it took because we uh, uh, part of the development comes from let's say from uh, in-house uh, uh, knowledge that we had during the all those years, but a little yes. bit less than two years, let's say, uh, because before we we were considering to introduce master system for the 30 years, but we had also a look on Mega Drive, what, how was it going to be, right? And then uh, somebody here said, well, let's ask the community, let, let them choose, right? So I was so certain that they would choose the master system that said, okay, let's ask them. And uh, by uh, my surprise, uh, the community said, no, we want the Mega Drive, right? And I say, wow, now we are in trouble because uh, they have decided and uh, master system would be a piece of cake uh, and the Mega Drive would be a challenge. So I would say from the time that... Uh, uh, let's uh, finally let's say we decided it is Mega Drive. It was basically one year. Yeah, yeah, interesting. So you used the original molds for the Mega Drive to create the shell of the Mega Drive 2017. Was it important to to look like the original console? Yes, this was a must. Uh, we took here a decision that. Um, Every time we have to decide something, we will decide in favor of the original uh, product, right? Uh, of course, with some exceptions, right? So when it came for packaging, when it came for the look, whatever, to uh, what the controller is going to be, uh, we, sh we didn't take any decisions, right? We just said it has to be exactly the same. Unfortunately, we did not have the original modes anymore. Right, but we had the drawings because, like two hundred years ago, when you did the modes, the technology was completely different. You are not using the machinery you have today, right? So there were still drawings and those old things, which, if you show to people today, they don't know even what those things are, right? They have never seen things like that. Yes, so, a, lot, <laughs> a lot of the Chinese consoles these days would all be done with computer-aided design, done on screen, and then sent the plan sent straight to the machine to manufacture. So in a, in a lot of ways, that's a, a retro way of manufacturing, going back to the drawings. Yeah, we, we went back to the drawings. The bad thing of the drawings is that you would do changes normally on the final two that you didn't have time to do in the drawing, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, but then we we had some engineers here who were at the time with us, that are with us for so many years. 
and they they some of them said yeah but if i remember well this drawing is not correct because we did and of course we had the, the original products here right so um, we could from the original product uh, uh, give them to the chinese and that was very easy you didn't so, change to it you added an sd card part to it yes 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 you're right we did we did some changes, but uh, which we thought would be beneficial, right? But uh, you're right. Yeah, so the um, micro SD card allows you to uh, add games to the system. Do you think that's an important feature on this sort of console? Yes, uh, we thought it, it, uh, um, it would be important um, for some reasons, uh, right? Uh, uh, first, that we could sell uh, games not necessary in a cartridge form, right? Uh, second, uh, and the, maybe not second, maybe the most important part would be the possibility of doing some retrofeeding to the hardware or to the firmware itself, right? Yes. Which, yeah. which was something we... Uh, it, we were a little bit scared of the whole project uh, because it's it's different when you are, let's say, we get together and we decide to do a new smartphone or whatever, right? It's completely different. I mean, you work on the product, you test it and so on. Here now we had to go back to what was done one day ago on the past and so so when the people said, let's put the card and um, with this card, we will be able to, uh, uh, how you say, retrofeed if we do some big mistake. And after this, there were no, no discussions anymore. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's interesting. Uh, I have recently got the C64 Mini and that has the option to update its firmware from... A USB stick and they're now planning to add extra games to the console through a, through a firmware update and so obviously the Mega Drive 2017 has that capability because you included the the card slot yeah yeah this is a it's a bigger achievement also uh, we wanted to maybe in the future do something different and you know so once the idea came it's um, uh, it was approved uh, very quickly. There are 22 games included on on the console. What are your favorites among those? Well, uh, um, this is a difficult uh, question because each game has a history. Like Outer Beast, uh, people love it uh, because it, uh, let's say, it was the first game that we... Uh, gave with the, the original console, right? So it has a, a special story, right? Yes. yes. The, the Sonic family is, of course, an uh, important one because, um, well, Sonic is is unique, I mean, uh, and, and represents a lot. And when we saw it for the first time for Mega Drive or for Genesis in a CS in... In, in US, I don't know uh, exactly when it was. Now, it was so impressive. So, 
all the memories uh, are there. But um, well, if I continue speaking, I'm probably going to speak about each and and, and every and every game, right? Yes. <laughs> So you have, you have a lot of good memories of, of Mega Drive games. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's uh, no, they they uh, and and so have the people who who finally bought the product, right? And uh, the the option we gave them to have their name engraved and personalized. This was was was, was huge, mm. you know. Mm. So the people came to us and and they sent me till today. They sent me photos of the. Of the console with their names uh, by Facebook and and, and uh, some of them bought like two, one in or more than two, uh, two that they would keep in the box without opening the box, and one with that they would open with their name. It's uh, the stories are amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's obviously bringing back a lot of memories. So you can actually use the original cartridges with the uh, Mega Drive 2017, which is a great feature. Have you discovered many problems or many that are, are not fully compatible? Yes, yes. So we have a frequent asked question section in our, um, how you say, website yeah. that we were adding every time we found a glitch or so. So we had here many discussions what was, let's say, supportable and when it was not anymore. So if you are, let's say, uh, playing Hang On, just to name a game, right? And, and if you look, if I remember well, on the lower left-hand side, you're going to see some glitches, right? So we decided that those were okay, let's say, you know? So you, you could... Uh, we could launch the the cartridge with this problem, right? And then there were others which uh, were not okay. Um, uh, space uh, Space Harrier, I think, mm. is one that we did not launch because then the glitch was not small. It was in the middle of the big sprite. And, and that's what I say, one example of a game that we could not uh, fix. There was no way of fixing it. So it, if you look to our frequent asked questions, you're going to be there that it's not uh, compatible for this game. From the from the lists I've seen online, it seems there's only a, a very few titles that have serious problems. So most, most games are playable. Yeah, because again, Heriberto and his team, they don't give up easily, right? So uh, there, there was a, let's say, a problem in, in such and such game, and so they were tweaking and tweaking here and there, and and um, and of course they could only do it from the hardware side because the software side would already be in hands of the players, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So so it's it's not so easy, uh, um, but they they were really tweaking until, and there were maybe a full dozen of games which were on this list that would not be compatible that through their efforts uh, finally were not in the list anymore and that's that shows the real dedication to the project um, in terms of the hardware i know that the console cannot be connected to the 32x and the mega cd but does it support any other 
Mega Drive hardware and the original controllers. Yes, the controllers which have the pins is no no problem, right? So you can use six button controller. You can use um, your original controller. I think basically anyone you you bought, right? Let me uh, let me see here from the top of my mind. Um, let me see. I have a paper here. Let me just check. Yeah, let me see here because I don't remember very well about um, yeah Game Guinea, Sega CD, Power Base Converter, 32X, MegaNect, Activator, Mega Mouse, Multi Taps. They don't work. Right. Yeah. Now that you wanted the country, the ones which work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think that basically only the the joy pads. Right. So does the Menacer light gun work with the uh, console? Yeah, probably, probably. Uh, let's <laughs> see here if I have Menacer in some place. No, I, I, I would have to uh, Menacer. Yeah, I have here that Menacer was still under tests. Ah, okay. No problem about no, that. Yeah, let me, actually, let, actually, give me a second. Let me see if I find the Riberto. <laughs> If I find him, if he's here, Heriberto, você aqui no FAQ diz que a Menacer, a gente iria testar ainda a compatibilidade dela com o Mega Drive novo, Mega Drive retrô. Você sabe como é que ficou isso? Não fizemos. Yeah. Okay. Valeu. Obrigado. No, no. He said they didn't come to a, a conclusion. So uh, Menacer uh, is not uh, not in the list of allowed and and uh, so no, no. We we still hold this answer. <laughs> Thanks for answering that. <clears throat> I wonder, by the way, why you decided to go for the three buttons controller and not the six buttons controller. Despite easy, some games easy. wouldn't be controllable without the uh, six buttons controller. Well, well, uh, first, as I told you, every time we had to take a decision, there was a, a Bible, a law in the Bible that said you have to go by the original uh, product. So this was an easy decision. We wanted to introduce the six um, uh, button controller for the... Um, people who liked, uh, let's say, uh, uh, fighting games and so on, right? And um, so, and uh, we finally then found out that uh, the demand was really small. Okay. And some people wanted, we had still some uh, six uh, button controllers in stock, right? <laughs> so we sold one or other here and there when somebody approached them. By the way, even today, uh, they found one more here. They were sending one to a, uh, a consumer. So it um, because the problem was that um, from the financial point of view, it would be not easy to to remake this uh, controller just to do I don't know a handful of uh, items, right? Um, so this is one that uh, we more or less solved with a few. Uh, pieces 
Interesting. It's surprising me. I thought it would be totally different because, especially uh, because of Mortal Kombat and Street Fighter being so so much liked titles that most gamers would say no, three button controllers are enough. Yeah, that's you. I think you are hundred percent correct. But the problem is that uh, when then you try to do feasibility studies and because most of the I mean the whole project we 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 lost money I mean we did not make money with the project itself right the amount of hours we spent in in engineering and 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 also the, the final cost of the product was not exactly what we wanted right um, and um, also it was not easy to get licenses to, for the software, right? So it took us um, a hard time to get the authorization from uh, uh, from one from Wonder Boy to launch the Monica cartridge, right? And Monica cartridge was not easy to get the approval from um, Mauricio de Souza because he's a good friend and a good partner for so many years. But of course, they didn't make any money there too, right? And our luck was that, uh, you know, Monica is his daughter, right? Ah. And, and his daughter, Monica, uh, was uh, younger, of course, when we launched the, this, the games, but she, she knew us very well. And the director is in the group today, today it's a big group, the director who is responsible for digital and where our... Uh, product falls in is uh, Monica's son, right? And he confessed that he had a master system and that he was hiding, that his mother was hiding the master system in a place every time when he was not allowed to play. And during the meeting, he confessed to his mother that he knew exactly where she was hiding it and that he was sneaking there and taking it even when he was not allowed. So she was not very happy, but finally we got the license. <laughs> oh my God, real family stories here. Yeah, yeah. So this is, yeah. So, but it was really hard to get the the licenses, right? Even at that time, it was. Uh, I don't know if I told you the story of Carmen San Diego. Where in the world is Carmen San Diego? <laughs> Yes, we know the, know the games, yes. Yeah. You know the games. So yeah, we wanted yeah. to launch it in Brazil, for, and we did, for PC, for Mega Drive, and for Master System. And we thought we would sell millions, and we did a very interesting TV campaign. Uh, we teamed up with the largest, um, you say, publishing company in Brazil to give a kind of dictionary together, it was a huge project, and um, and Brother Bunt, of course, had the rights for for Carmen San Diego. And when we told them that we want to do it for Master System, the lady asked me, "What what is Master System?" Right? <laughs> I said, "It is an eight-bit console from Sega." And she said, "No, I never heard about it in US." Right? <laughs> yeah, but you have a game from uh, you. You released the game in? No, no, we never did it. And then she said, I told her, can you check with the other people in the company? 
And then she comes back to me and said, I checked. Nobody ever heard about this project. You are mistaken. <laughs> wow. For, for my luck, I had bought at that time in, in Toys R Us, I don't know how many years ago, some units of the product, which was released by Parker Bros. Right? And for my luck, I knew very well a Hasbro director who was a big shot in Hasbro and had worked in Parker Bros at the time when the, the and he was one of the persons uh, in Parker Bros who was dealing with Brother Bund, right? So I sent her the a copy of the instruction manual and a photo of, and she still said, no, that's not our product. It's not the licensed product. So then I asked this uh, big shot at uh, Hasbro if he could send her an email or fax, I don't know what it was at the time, uh, telling the story. And he did. So I went there, and it was near South Salito that they had their uh, headquarters. And then finally she said, you're right. You're absolutely right. It was a a product, but we can't help you and we can't license it to you. I said, why not? <laughs> no, we can't because we cannot um, check the product once you finish it, right? It's, well, but you already pre-approved it once for SEG and SEG approved it, so why do you need to check it? Ah, because we need to check it, blah, blah, blah. And then finally I convinced her to to approve it, and she did the license. She gave us the license to manufacture the cartridge, right? And we had here a very big library of source codes, maybe a better library than even uh, Sega had in Japan. For So sometimes they were asking us for very old Master System source codes. And, um, and we did it, and then we sent the, the cartridge for her for approval, and the approval would never come. And I said, what's happening? And said, no, we, we can't approve it. We can't approve it. Then I, I went there again, visit them and said, what's happening? And she said, I don't have a master system console. How can I, I check if it works, right? And I said, why didn't you tell me, right? I, I can send you a hundred, right? So finally she said, no, forget it. Don't send me anything. Uh, this is taking too long, uh, just send me, how you say, the final sample from the box and it's approved. Right? So even sometimes to get the license, uh, I don't know how many years ago, was very difficult. You can imagine today. Yeah, it's a yeah. fascinating story that. I've heard similar stories from people who are trying to remake old games, trying to deal with companies that have been taken over and no one knows who's responsible for the game anymore. And so they get lost in paperwork and lawyers. And so the project gets abandoned. And that's, a, as I say, that's a fascinating glimpse of what was happening in publishing. Yeah, at that time, imagine today. Sometimes I know very well who owns the music, who owns, you know. So... But uh, one big problem is that some of those companies don't exist anymore, right? Yes. So suddenly the lawyer says, okay, you are 100% right. The, the lyrics and the, belong to I don't know whom. The music and the arrangement belongs to you are 100%. We found all this information. You are correct. Bad news. 
the company doesn't exist anymore and nobody has this right and without this right we won't release the the agreement right mm, mm, mm. and then, then and then you are stuck for 50 years <laughs> that's incredible so are tech toy planning any more mini consoles for the future well at this exactly moment uh, we are not uh, we don't have any particular how you say in the second line, uh, we are working uh, with Atari, right, and launching some of the Atari uh, products, right? But okay, those okay. Uh, those are not, uh, how you say, developed uh, uh, by us uh, internally. Of course, uh, we 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 do some tweaking uh, for quality reasons because we assemble them, and uh, every product we we release that we assemble and which holds our brand. We, of course, are sometimes uh, tweaking a little bit the, the hardware part of it. Yeah. yeah. So these are the Atari flashback sort of console looking back yeah. at the old 2600, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, and in, in October now, I think we are launching a new version some of them are interesting because they have uh, native a HDMI, right? So when you have native uh, HDMI, uh, resolution is completely different in modern, uh, let's say, TVs. Yes, that was interesting in sort of doing some research for this podcast. I looked into Brazilian TV and uh, there's been quite a problem with the uh, high definition standard there. Yeah, yeah. So, but again, let's say TV for us is is uh, we we were once of the first to when when digital TV was introduced in Brazil, we our government at that time was a kind of a socialist government, and they said, okay, we're going to do a Japanese pattern but we are going to somehow make it a Brazilian-Japanese pa pattern and we are going to protect the local manufacturers and only them will be able to do it. So I was invited to a meeting at the, the president's uh, palace there in Brasilia where they came with those nationalist uh, ideas, right, which we found a little bit strange, right? So, so I started... Uh, let's say, the digital system in Brazil from scratch. And then we, of course, were pushing not to be the only ones, the Brazilians, but have all the other normal companies, when I say, I mean, all, all TV manufacturers, independent from their, from wherever they would come, if it would yes, be yes, Japanese yes. or Korean or Dutch or, I mean, we don't care. We are... TV manufacturers and we and we have to stick together, right? So again, when we decided about uh, the the Brazilian softwares which entered, the, which are called Jinga, uh, I was lucky that I participated from start on in this um, project. So everything which is related for TV, we for us it's a little bit easier because we have a good background. Mm. I wonder, by the way, as we mentioned the Brazilian market and so on, how much are you aware of the uh, picture you 
you are giving to the community outside of Brazil. I know, for example, that after we we talked to you like two years ago, um, Compotech Publishing did a report in one of their um, magazines in which they, they wrote that tech toy are pirating Sega products. There are a lot of rumors and untrue stories. Yeah, this, this particular one, I was mad. I wrote them, right? Uh, and asking that they should uh, officially retreat themselves. And I have not heard back since. Then I, I asked the lawyer there if we should sue them, how this would be... Uh, in, in how you say regarding German law and, and I don't know it was something complicated I could not understand but we were mad because uh, uh, we have launched more than 1,000 different softwares in Brazil and uh, we are proud of always having had all the licenses even if some of those softwares have five six or seven different licenses so uh, we have here I don't know how many archives of agreements. I don't know how many thousands of pages. And this, uh, and uh, so this was very bad. Uh, but I think this was the only bad thing I heard so far. So it's just the the exception that confirms the rule. Well, we can help put the record straight and say that Tectoy have always been an official Sega licensee, have worked closely with Sega over the years. And uh, this uh, Mega Drive 2017 is an official product. Yeah, maybe they were convinced when uh, the vice president himself was here, right? And um, for and, uh, for the launch, right? Yeah. So maybe this changed their mind. Yeah, and I I do know there are tech toy fans and collectors outside of Brazil. Do you have uh, much chance to interact with them? Uh, I have got uh, many, how you say, uh, requests for interviews from many different uh, uh, kind of retro gaming magazines or bloggers or so on. There is one in Spain who wants me to give a lecture there in, in April, I think they have a, a yearly show. And uh, last year I could not uh, go. This year he wants, this year I mean 2019, he wants me to go there. I, I know they are doing, in, uh, Sam Dyer is doing a book. And um, so I gave an interview for him. And uh, Sega 16, I think I gave them a nice interview. And I don't know, I think that the number of interviews for foreign um, uh, magazines and blogs and so on was uh, increasing in the last uh, times. Yes, you just mentioned Sam Dyer at uh, Bitmap Books here in the UK. Uh, he's currently running a Kickstarter for the Sega Master System Compendium, which is going to be a glossy coffee table book full of interviews and brilliant spreads on the games and the hardware and it's great to hear that uh, you've been interviewed for that because obviously tech toy 
is a very important part of the Sega Master System history. And for the listeners who are interested, you can go to www.smsbook.co.uk to uh, follow the links to the Kickstarter. And as the uh, stretch goals are being met, more pages are being added to the book. And we're hoping soon that it will reach uh, enough money to include a slipcase cover and eventually a lenticular cover, which has moving characters. There's every pledge on the Kickstarter. You get a bookmark and a set of 3D glasses because some of the spreads in the book will be emulating the original 3D games on the Master System. So uh, check that out because I'm sure a lot of... uh, people will be interested in that i wonder did you ever consider yourself to become such a big shot as you mentioned that phrase before in the sega environment the sega community or did you never think it would hype so much as it did nowadays yeah you you um I was really impressed about the reaction here in Brazil and, and how the people, especially during those um, those uh, talks, you know, that we had in those uh, libraries and, and uh, bookstores and, and uh, there was here the Comic-Con and they invited me to, to Comic-Con and uh, then the, it was so many people in, in the... They did not didn't even feed. Uh, there was not even enough room in the in the hall we were. It was a big hall, and Comic Con is from people from a different um, from different times, right? Much more younger people. Mm. But uh, I was really impressed that uh, I, uh, before I give my lecture, I was walking around the the show, which was a huge show. And uh, people would stop me and ask you, are you Stefan Arnhold? And I say, yes. And say, whoa, 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 I need an autograph. And I say, well, but why <laughs> would you want it? No, no, because I know who you are and so on. And those were kids which uh, was, uh, they could be the, the, the certainly not the, the people who were bought, buying our consoles in the 80s and early 90s, right? So this gave me, a, I was already a little bit shocked. And then uh, when we, we gave the lecture, uh, uh, it was really impressive how a, a very young audience uh, uh, of people who, I mean, from a completely different age group, the, the amount of knowledge they had on details of Mega Drive and Master System and and, and, and MSX. And even there were some questions I, I, I went to give after this lecture, there were some people, how you say, broadcasting directly from the show floor, right? So I mm. went to some important uh, places which were packed and huge and only the very important people were there. I don't know why they invited me, but somehow I was there too. And uh, they even asked me a question on MSX that I, I could not answer, right? And those were kids which were in their 20s. Right, and uh, they were not even born when we were had introduced MSX in Brazil. So the hype is is really unbelievable. So I imagine that if the feeling is more or less the same in other countries, uh, then it must be huge. 
Yes, I mean, there's a a big retro scene here in the United Kingdom uh, with uh, lots of events happening where people meet up and play the old consoles. We have uh, two dedicated museums filled with old computers and consoles. And we have the new arcade club filled with uh, many generations of arcade hardware as well. So retro gaming is big over here in the UK. And Sega is obviously still very popular in Brazil. Do you think it's a shame that Sega is no longer in the hardware business, the hardware side of the games business? Yeah, well, definitely, yes. Because um, if you imagine that in Brazil, especially during those times, the the piracy was really huge, right? Uh, you have to imagine a complete different environment where we had to make money on hardware sales, not on software sales. So the concept of uh, video games is a kind of razor blade theory, right? Where you give out the console at cost or something like that, or even lose money, and then you, you recover on the, on the software. And after some years, we could not even think of doing it because um, we were not making any money on software at all. So when Sega left the hardware market, they we had uh, big problems here, right? Because uh, uh, the only good thing for us was that we maintained the, the legacy platform. So when they introduced Sega Genesis, they killed... Uh, Master System, when they introduced uh, Sega Saturn, they killed uh, sometime later Genesis and, and, and so on. So when Dreamcast was there, there were no Sega Saturns anymore. And we kept producing the, the legacy platforms. So this was our luck that we somehow survived. Yeah, interesting. As I say, it's, it's clear that Tectoy is an important part of Sega's legacy. And uh, I would wonder, do you have a favorite game that Tectoy has published over the years? Uh, well, again, uh, difficult to, to say, but um, the Woody Woodpecker game for us was very important because it was our first original game, right? Um, again, the research before it was very interesting because uh, I was researching different characters, and I was I had close contacts with TV, and then I found out that Wood Woodpecker had the largest library of episodes uh, of any character. So we did a study of the characters in uh, Latin American TV from Mexico down, uh, and found out that uh, Woody Woodpecker was one of the most shown cartoons uh, still in uh, most of those countries. Right. So this was interesting and this encouraged us to get the license from Universal. And uh, uh, the only, let's say, difficult parts there was it was our first game from, let's say, original game from scratch. And the people wanted every time to make the, the game better, the game better, and it was never ready, right? So one day I said, I don't care what you want to do. We are we are launching it the next months. And that's that's it, right? Because otherwise we're going to have a fantastic game for my grandchildren. 
<laughs> but that's that's for me an an important game because it uh, let's say we we developed it from scratch, but it's very difficult to to choose one game. Okay, that's great. So uh, just thinking about the the video game market in Brazil, did Nintendo have as big a presence as Sega? Well, Nintendo has a complete different story because um, it was not introduced in Brazil by Nintendo itself, but by the 8-bit clone manufacturers, right? Mm. So our our we were always facing difficult uh, competition environment because we had to compete with the, the fake products and the cost of their product was really low. <clears throat> you know the difference between Master System hardware and um, Nintendo Entertainment System hardware. So you know that uh, by the, the, how you say, the bill of materials of Master System is already higher Yes. From start, right? And then if you compare at that time the, the the components you could freely buy in Tai Taiwan from the clones, th- those they they cost a fraction of what we were paying Sega for the for the components, right? Yeah. And yeah. to make things worse in Brazil, those eight-bit clones, they were not sold under the table. They were sold by Gradienti, which was a huge company, right? The one which had uh, introduced uh, Atari 2600 in Brazil. They were introduced by CCA, which was at the time, if not number one, maybe number two or number three largest TV and number one audio largest manufacturer in Brazil, right? So those were big companies, right? Mm-hmm. And I was having, I was meeting Nintendo at every uh, uh, CES and uh, at every, I don't think we had E3 at the time, it was CES twice a year in Chicago and in Las Vegas. I was meeting with their counselor trying to fight the clones here in Brazil, right? Mm-hmm. It was really, really difficult. So when they finally decided to come officially into Brazil, they did it through a retailer, <coughs> uh, which was Mesbla, which does not exist anymore. And they sold 3,000 um, Game Boys to this retailer. And this retailer had a very hard time uh, uh, selling it because, of course, it paid all the duties and the price was uh, very high. Then finally... Uh, Gradienti, which is uh, very, very active and very, very, was a very active and very smart company. What they did, they teamed up with Estrela. Estrela was the largest uh, toy manufacturer in the market before we entered the market. Uh, when we entered the market, they had 55% of the market and 50 per- and 50 years, right? We had zero years and zero and zero per share and in four years we beat them but that's another story but they in their favor we can say that um, Estrela had a very very good reputation you know they were really nice people and Gradienti's reputation was so so because uh, when we lost the bid to them for Atari 2600 it was because Time Warner at the time wanted 
licensing conditions which were not possible. You know, it, you could not uh, comply with them. So we were not able to to sign an agreement and uh, they accepted it. And of course, we're not able to fulfill them because they were unfulfillable, right? So this at that time was still a very small industry. So the, the, the officials that you would find in, in Sega, in Nintendo, basically all came from Atari from uh, in US, right? From Mattel Electronics, right? They were, it was a small world, so everybody knew them very well. So they were very smart. They teamed up with uh, Estrela and they found uh, uh, a company here in Brazil, uh, a 50-50 kind of uh, joint venture, and then they introduced the video game from uh, Nintendo official in Brazil. And they had, of course, no chance in 8-bit, but they did a very good uh, work in 16-bit uh, and, uh, and an excellent work with Game Boy. Right. You mentioned uh, the MSX computer earlier. Um, was there much of a home computer scene in Brazil? Which which machines made the most impact, do you think? Yeah, it was... Uh, uh, it, you did not really have um, so, so many... I say personal computers were starting, right? Yeah. Um, and um, uh, Commodore, of course, was well known. Uh, TKS, uh, those kind of products, right? And you had the first, um, uh, I think, were 16-bit uh, processors, if I remember well, something like that, uh, uh, starting uh, uh, to go into homes, right? But, um, and again, when we did um, MSX, our competitor was Gradienti. So just for you two, <laughs> <laughs> we were always together. They, But they were really very competitive. Not only competitive, but very competent uh, company. So, what do you think will this future look for you? I mean, you say you didn't really do any money on the Mega Drive, so you only did it for the community. So, you are mainly making money with other products that isn't involved into retro gaming. Yeah. Uh, uh, when we decided to launch a product to celebrate our 30 years of existence and 30 years of relationship with Sega, which we thought was something special because there are not so many, uh, how you say, companies in the world that have, uh, I would say video game companies, right? That have 30 years of relationship with anyone. So we thought this would be very special so the the decision to make the the mega drive was not based on on let's say on the normal decision making process of any product right and of course we lost money but we are happy uh, with what we did and the rewards are the kind of rewards that money cannot buy so <laughs> we don't care we are really really super happy uh, with it, but at the moment we are not, um, let's say, seeking other venture of the type, right? Uh, uh, because of the difficulties of the the financial difficulties, right? Mm -hmm. 
So if you could turn back time, what do you think you would do different looking at it nowadays? Is there anything you regret and you would change? Yeah, there is one thing I would regret. On one, on one side, I'm happy on the decision I took because it was a loyalty decision and I'm happy that I was loyal. But um, we had very good relations with Sony. And Sony was working very well with uh, Sega CD and, uh, and with Mega Drive. And, and we, were, we were enjoying a very special relationship with Sony. And then one day we go to a CS show, uh, E3 or CS, I don't know if E3 was already there, maybe already started. And uh, we want to talk about our new products with them for Sega CD for... And the lady, I can't recall her name at the moment, at the beginning of the meeting said, wait, wait, we, we, we cannot start the meet because... Uh, you just, uh, Sega just launched Sega Saturn in Japan and uh, <clears throat> we heard that you're going to launch Sega Saturn in, uh, I don't know, November, October, I don't remember exactly the months in Brazil and you have, to, before we go on, you have to decide if you're going to introduce a Sony PlayStation product or if you're going to keep with Sega. And if you tell us you keep with Sega, we can't continue doing business with you. And, um, well, it took me like 15 seconds to tell her that we love them and that we wanted to continue doing business with them, but that we would launch uh, Sega Saturn, right? And if you ask me today, I mean, uh, uh, the founder of Tectoy always said it's e easier to be a historian than a reporter, mm. right? So today it's easy to say that I took the wrong decision, but I'm happy that I took the loyalty one. But uh, if I have to regret, maybe that's one case. Because then Sony made a big success with the Sony PlayStation. Yeah, and I, I think at that time we, we, we had all the, how you say, all what would be necessary to make it really successful in Brazil too. And um, so, and the other one, which maybe I also regret, is the story about the, uh, I don't know if you know this story about um, black and white uh, portable product for Sega. Never heard that, of it. Uh, no. So Sega had Game Gear, which was fantastic. It ate a little bit of batteries, but it was really a nice product. Uh, playing... Um, Shape and Columns or Super Monaco GP in two different ga uh, Game Gears was amazing, uh, how you say, uh, experience. Uh, seeing TV on the Game Gear with the TV adapter was not the best in the world. But um, so what we did, we found a Taiwanese manufacturer who had a <clears throat> kind of a portable black and white uh, not exactly like Game Boy, but more or less Game Boy style of product. And our engineering guy said, look, uh, we could uh, really change this product into something uh, really nice because they, they have, I don't know what kind of audio problems, but we can fix it. 
So a Tiger at that time was really strong all over the world with their handheld games. So talking to them, I said, um, what do you think about a product like that? If we license Sega games, right, uh, for this product, uh, how many would you distribute in North America? I don't know the exact numbers today, but uh, because this is a long time ago. <clears throat> and they said so many. Then I said, well, if you can um, grant me those numbers, then, then the whole project is, uh, let's say, economically feasible. So I went to talk to Nakayama, sir, and in five minutes he said, no, never, we'll never do, Sega will never have a black and white uh, portable unit, we only do colored units. And what I regret is that I, I gave up, you know, after he said uh, the first time, I probably if I would have visited him 200 times, maybe one day he would change his mind. But uh, I asked myself, um, what would have happened if we would have uh, had uh, a portable black and white uh, Sega with Sonic uh, product in the market? Uh, this could have been an excellent product. Yeah, true. Maybe. Well, I guess Sega was more like thinking that um, color is more important. But on the other hand, gamers more decided for longer lasting batteries and a bigger library of games available for some for some reason. Yes, it's interesting looking back at those those handheld units, the handheld games, the Game Gear, the Game Boy, the Atari Lynx, all coming from three very different companies and taking a very different approach to what works. And looking back, we can say that Nintendo got it right with the Game Boy. As Jörg just said, long battery life, lots of different games, and of course the, the killer app in the form of Tetris. Um, but uh, you can also compare it now with Sony, who tried with the first with the PSP and then with the Vita to produce a console-style experience on a handheld game. And it never really worked. It's only the sort of this unusual games, thinking of Loco Roco on the PSP and Gravity Rush recently on Vita. It's only those sort of games, a, a new experience, that have really kept those handhelds going. Yeah, well, you have cell phones today, right? Which uh, are the Game Boys of that time, I, I would say. But if you look the hundreds of millions of units that the Game Boy and Nintendo DS family did, those numbers were really, really impressive, right? Yes, yes. So, uh, so I believe maybe if we, if Sega, with our help, would have a, a nice product, maybe we could have had a good share of this market, even not being the leaders, because I think they had a head start, Nintendo had a head start that might be difficult for us to catch up at that time. But even if we would have 20, 30% of that market, uh, that alone will be, I don't know, 50, 60 million units, which would be not bad at all. Eh? Mm. Well, I wonder, as you said, you have no plan for future ventures into 
producing retro consoles in the near future. Do you have any personal goals? Yeah, that, that's that's uh, <laughs> that's difficult um, to 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 answer, right? Um, uh, of course, we we still have um, uh, many. Diff My problem at the moment is that I'm I'm doing lots of different things. I'm very involved in the sports area. I have different uh, roles in the International Ski Federation, in the International Paralympic Committee, in the Brazilian Olympic Committee, in the Brazilian Paralympic Committee, in the Brazilian Snow Sports Federation, and in many technical committees of those. So I, I think I have 12 different, uh, uh, I say, responsibilities in the sports area. I have some important uh, activity in the environmental area. I, I was running a foundation in the environmental area until some years ago. I'm, I'm, I'm a member of the, the Council of uh, Conservation International, uh, supporting mainly marine environmental projects uh, in Brazil. I'm very involved in uh, sports governance and I'm changing, helping change the face of sports governance in Brazil uh, in huge uh, <clears throat> projects. So at the moment, I have uh, maybe too many ongoing projects that I, uh, it's difficult to to fit a new, I say, ventures at the moment. But uh, I, I'm still young. I'm only 64. So I probably have another 60 years to do some interesting stuff. <laughs> yes, it's interesting. I found by interviewing people like you who are involved into technical development, they never rest. They always keep being interested in that and keep on going, being involved. Yeah, I think technology is a fascinating uh, area. You know, it's not easy to make money because of the development of uh, technology. Maybe I forgot to mention that I'm still an active athlete. I still run my marathons and I am a, uh, an active alpine skier and I participate in the Masters World Cups. So if oh, you put oh. all, and I train five to six times a week. So if you put everything together, uh, unfortunately, there is no so much time left, but... Um, who knows what I'm going to do next. Wow. Yes, you are very active in many fields. I saw it on your Twitter when you started following me. I was like, okay, that's very sportive. Yeah, so, but um, let's see. But uh, what I, what I, I would say that um, most of those things in which I get involved are very rewarding, you know, when you... When you save, uh, let's say, a community in a shore in Brazil, you know, that was going into drugs and you can, uh, and instead of going to drugs and, and, and damaging the environment, they start to, mm. how you say, to catch uh, and treat very well the crab, you know, and, uh, and sell them to, to big uh, restaurants, to big chefs. This is very rewarding. And things you do when when an athlete gets a medal, or let's say Brazil is still in the infancy of uh, snow, <clears throat> the snow 
Winter Games, but uh, we had the sixth place in the Paralympics now in Pyeongchang. He's a 15-year-old athlete, the, oldest, the youngest athlete from the whole Paralympic Games. This is also very rewarding, right? But uh, the chats that I had, the opportunities I had with those uh, Sega lovers, they were especially rewarding. After three, four hours talking, I, I was really, how you say, worn out, you know, because this was like 11 o'clock in the night or midnight. But I, I was thinking about my training next day, like five o'clock, six o'clock in the morning, right? But on the other hand, the, the people were so involved and were so amazed that uh, I couldn't go away. So uh, I, think it, I think that you are very special because you can work with uh, retro gaming and those fields, which I think is a fantastic field. Well, it's been wonderful to talk to you and that you've taken the time out of your very busy schedule to talk to us today. Uh, it's wow. been, been great uncovering some of these fascinating stories behind Tech Toy and the Brazilian video game market. So I'd like to say uh, obrigado Stefano. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye.